so we're back with gold. Back with gold. Back with gold with Ava Gabrielle. Back. I'm hitting a button on my phone. Good for you. <laughs> so. So. Where did we leave off? So. Um, oh, I, I was about to tell you the. Uh, I was about to tell you the. Uh, stuff that I'm doing with the UN right now. Fantastic. This is exciting to me. Yes, it is. So, one of the things that I'm that I'm I'm trying to remember the part where where that I was telling you about. You were, we're telling me the, we were we had just talked about the paper, the, the paper, UN yes. high level the high high level position paper. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, I was asked to um serve on to lead the drafting team for this UN high level position paper and basically um there are four there are there are four there's let me start from the beginning there are 17 sustainable development goals they're called the millennium development goals and basically the whole entire world got together and identified these 17 areas that um they wanted to see marked change in these 17 areas by the year 2030. And so everybody, every country that participated got together and identified the way that they would play a role in making a change in those 17 areas. Um, and then the organizations that worked within those specific sectors, like in the case of the my organization, it was sector, it was SDG 8, which is economic growth and cre job creation. And the mission of SDG 8 was to um, have full employment for everyone by the year 2030, that no one would be left behind, that there would be full employment. Everybody who wants a job or opportunity for entrepreneurship in the world could have an opportunity to lift themselves out of poverty with decent living wage jobs. And this is something that is That's a goal. Well, not just a goal, but this is now. This is something that is attainable. Yeah. Well, it should be right. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I, that's that's right, my point right there. It should be. Uh, are there now? Can you tell me what some of the obstacles would be for this not happening? So, okay. So my particular portion of the thing was to, um, the section that we were writing was about SDG eight, which says that everyone should ha be gainfully employed by the year twenty thirty. The other one of the other. Um, benchmarks for that particular goal is that there be 7% of growth, a 7% rate of growth for every country by 2030, right? Okay. So that every country be able to realize a 7% economic growth each year. Now, globally, the global rate of growth right now is about 37 um, the United States is about 2.4 annual growth, <sighs> right? So that tells you how far we would have to go in order to make 7% an attainable goal. 7% is an attainable goal for developing countries, for example, who have so far to go, right? right? So for a, the economy of a, of a developing country that still has to build infrastructure, for example. Absolutely, yes. And still just needs to just get the basic things that they need in order to be able to operate day to day. 7% growth is attainable for them. 
because they have somewhere to go. Of course, yes. For a developed nation reaching 7% growth, that would be like, in America, that would basically mean us almost tripling the rate of growth that we're currently at. There, we, we would be not only at zero unemployment, we'd be in negative unemployment. We'd have to start importing workers. Well, let's do it. <laughs> Right. I'm, I'm all for it. No, let's go. It's actually, I, I know exactly what you're saying, right. but here's the thing. Right. Uh, our infrastructure right now is in disarray. It is. Our infrastructure, our um, highway system, our railway systems, our mass transit needs a huge overhaul. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, we are now at the same tipping point we were when we almost hunted whales to extinction <laughs> right for because yeah. we were our fuel was whale oil mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was everywhere we used i mean i, I right. think we brushed our teeth with whale oil which is gross on so many levels but also the killing of a beautiful yeah. majestic creature Absolutely. like that angers me no end right Absolutely. Uh, also the way that we destroyed the the buffalo yeah that right. kills me as well right. um Right. And again, well, we have not since we settled this land, we have not lived well with nature. And we should. In the way that those who preceded us did. Hello. Oh my god, we've got somebody <laughs> and she she couldn't come over with me. She couldn't come uh, over. Hold with on me. one second. <laughs> You're making me pause. All right. <laughs> Ava Gabrielle Gold, I would love you to meet Julia Zapsik, my beautiful bride, and Glad also you. Um, one of the co-founders of a shared universe podcast studio. Wow, great concept you have here! Oh, I am really happy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Absolutely. No, not at all. Not at all. We were just sitting here talking about some of my work. Oh, this stuff. is this okay. is so cool. Um, I don't need to be on mic. I, I really only wanted to. Well, if you're gonna make all right, fine. Then you you gotta you, you can't be saying stuff. So <laughs> essentially, I'm just gonna recap for uh, our visitor. Mm-hmm. Um, Ava Gabrielle is um, working on the United Nations a. Um, what did you call it? Proposal so it's paper? A, it's, well, High level so, paper? Right. So all the NGOs who work with the United Nations are all getting together and each year get together during the UN high level political forum and they submit a position paper on the millennium goals that the world has set for specific areas like poverty and education and clean water environment things of that sort my the area that i was asked to lead is the area called sdg8 which is about economic growth and job creation right and so the that's a very vast kind of segment right so the the way that we chose Um, that my team chose to hone in on that issue in terms of a position paper was to choose the um, the target of economic the seven percent rate of economic growth for um, the next each year until we get to 2030 or by 2030 that every country have a seven percent annual rate of growth economic growth which is 
as you said, um, possibly unattainable, right? <laughs> I'm, no, I, I want it to be attainable. Well, yeah, it would be good if it could be attainable. Um. <laughs> oh, now you want to be on mic. Right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, Jeez, uh, I heard you were nice. Right. I didn't know you were changing the freaking world. Right. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I love this. Um, right. <laughs> see, if I had won that Powerball... If I had won that damn Powerball, Powerball? I, I was going to change the world. You're going to change the that's, world? That's, that was my goal, well, I was, was gonna, just to was, change the I, world. I had a goal like that last week. There you go. <laughs> um, no, but just the, the whole thing is, uh, you know, to take, not just take money. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, everybody throws money. You know what? Sure. That's, I think the world is horrible in that regard. Um, why don't you speak, honey? Yeah, let me know if... Hold on. Why don't you try it now? Actually, no. We'll try this. I do. Hold on. This is, this, we're, we're dealing with a new board, oh, you folks. you do that? Can I run to the restaurant? You sure can. Okay. Yes, of course. <laughs> All righty. Please do not sit there in distress. No problem. Do you need the key? I guess I do. Okay. It is uh, Marge Simpson. Marge Simpson. Marge Simpson yes. is our key. <laughs> All right. Give me a second. Here we go. All right. Well, we're back. Uh, tell you what, I might just. Uh, oh, you can't hear me because you don't have your headphones. No, I can't hear you because you're not on yet. Okay. This is a, this is a new board, baby. I know. Already done. No, no, that's not it. Oh. There we go. How about now? Try. Now, hold on. Go ahead and talk. Talk for me. Can you hear anything now? I can. Okay. We're good. All right. All right, cool. So that's good. So um, did she run into traffic coming up? Uh, she did. Yeah. And she was dealing with a speaking to you? Not surprising. No. That, uh, no. I thought, you saw, I thought you heard me at one point. I am. You, here, I'm going to put I you up. you heard up. me. And I can. That's why you need to grab the headphones that are over there as well. Oh. One straight across from me. So, yes. Oh, okay. There you are. Yes, those are they. They are those. Now I can hear myself. Now you can hear yourself. I can. That's good. Okay. I can hear myself. This one, you do have to get really up close to. You do. Why, yes, why those do are. We, why do we have these mics? Uh, because we need, I mean, because these are like $300 mics. Oh. How much are these? $120 or something. Mm, we should get more of the Shure mics. We will get more of the Shure mics. We have to get, We have to infuse some capital, that's all. <laughs> or so. Shure has to send us some free or stuff. Sure, yeah, and I'm sure Shure is just hey, saying. Zoom sent us the board. I don't like to beg, so I'm not going to beg. I'll leave that up to Ming. I'll let Ming beg. I'll ask Shure. Shure microphones best microphones there are i know so i get to the corner and i'm like okay I think this is a good one. okay i think that's a good one right. <laughs> okay all right all righty 
So here we are again. Now, this yes. position paper. Um, essentially, what uh, Ava's working on is that in um, developing countries, 7% is not that big a deal. Right. And I'm sorry, honey, do you need to silence your phone? I guess I do. I guess you do. <laughs> okay, good deal. So... Uh, 7% is attainable in uh, countries where the infrastructure is still being worked on. Mm -hmm. Right. That makes sense. Right. So So 7% for a lot of developing countries is not unattainable, right? Because they have so much to do. Mm -hmm. And I was giving, so globally... We are at about a three, we are kind of, last year was about a 3.7% rate of growth globally for the whole whole world. Okay. And this year, it looks like the projections are we're going to be the same place. And right now, some of the leading economists are saying we're probably going to be there next year. So we've kind of hit a global plateau, which for some signals that there may be trouble ahead for the overall economy. In the United States, we're at about 2.4. So, um, and and there are also some predict some predictions that say that we may begin to kind of slow down in mm-hmm. in the next couple of years as well. So, the goal of trying to hit 7 for across the board for everyone by 2030 seems a bit unattainable, but that wasn't even our issue. The issue for the NGOs that work with the popula- the most vulnerable populations in the world says that even with some of the most promising growth figures, pro- growth projections that you could imagine, mm-hmm. um, that you still may not reach those vulnerable populations in developing countries and even the most vulnerable populations in developed countries. Because? Because there are still so many other gaps. There are so, so many other um, uh, indicators that suggest that growth alone, mm-hmm. right, economic input. For example, one example for doesn't do it. So, for example, in developing countries, um, a lot of times you'll find, let's say they tap oil or they find some really rich mineral, right? Okay. Those things create a lot of wealth mm-hmm. in certain industry sectors, but don't particularly create a lot of jobs, right? Oh, right. So they, there's, an, there's a finite number of jobs, massive amounts of wealth, Finite number of jobs and a massive amount of wealth doesn't necessarily mean economic opportunity for the vulnerable populations. Yeah. Right, because right. most of the, the people who are in control of those countries are going to keep most of the wealth for themselves, number right. one, and right. they're not going to share it right. amongst the indigenous people. Absolutely. And so that model in a developed country like ours, for example, is a little more nuanced, but for example, if you find that you have, for example, a massive tax break that goes to big corporations, mm. kind of like one we saw here a couple of years ago in this country, the idea was that the corporations, if given a massive tax break, would then share that wealth with... The whole trickle-down theory. It, yeah. yeah, it didn't work, mm. right? It didn't happen. So the idea that that just massive growth alone, right, that large growth alone will automatically mean that the lowest members of the most vulnerable populations will automatically be lifted doesn't necessarily work, doesn't ring true, doesn't mean that you don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other issue of the negative impact that that 
unbridled growth can have on vulnerable populations and the places where they live. Yeah. Because I'll, I was mm-hmm. going to ask that. Do you mm-hmm. mind my asking a question? Sure. You? Because um, one of the things that I'm that popped into my head as I'm listening to you speak is that you know, just because of geography, really, not every country has the same resources. So right. in order to achieve growth, it may mean depleting finite resources and disturbing the environment which leaves less arable land or less livable land so absolutely it seems to be i, I can see where it's mm-hmm. it's not as easy as saying well let's have growth because if growth means that you're stripping your forests or you're or you're displacing you know people who've lived in that area for you know hundreds and hundreds of years absolutely. in order to access that quote-unquote wealth asset then you're really doing more harm than good. You are. And that was one of the findings of our paper. So in our paper, the t- our, we had a five-member team, but we first collected data from um, all of the NGOs that are working around the world on that issue. Mm. And we didn't get as, you know, we got a response of, you know, a very small percentage of them, but it was it was a good enough representative group that we got recurring themes, and one of them was that one. Okay. One of the recurring themes was unbridled growth hurts indigenous populations and the developing countries where they live, mm. right? Because if that you destroy a fi- the resources that you have that are limited, mm. and um. So that was one of the findings. Another one of our team members um, wrote a a portion of the paper and her title of her section was called The Trouble with Growth. And her position is that um, along those same lines that as much as we talk about that sustainable development is in itself a false narrative, she says, Hmm. right? Because her position was that that, when you consider sustainable development and you think about the things that we say we're going to do, Mm. that we um, will reduce our footprint on the the environment and that we will lessen the impact that we have, the negative impact that we have on the environment as a whole. Her thing is the things that we do for capitalism are antithetical to the things that we need to do to protect the environment Mm. and so we're only going to do the things that are convenient (laughs) and the things that are um have a a a less a smaller impact on our bottom line right and so that we're really not sustainable growth sounds good and it makes people feel good but are we really committed to it and and her position was that we're not Mm -hmm. right so that the trouble with growth was that we really growth is about doing the things that make dollars and growth is about the things that generate revenue and the very definition of growth is antithetical to sustaining an environment in which we can live now it was interesting that the there was a different uh, that was her position she lived mm-hmm. in the united states right okay. and she was an environmentalist environmentalist she and i had a lot of heated debates because she said things that for me were cringeworthy like um uh poverty is only important to people who are impoverished but people who are in poverty don't make up the world <laughs> right oh wow yeah. well, did she yeah. talk about salmon at all <laughs> Right, you know, like, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and you have to realize that a lot of the global community from the environmental community 
can be a little elitist at times. You know? A little. Yeah. A I, I was going to say, I mean, how much, how much, I mean, yeah. I, 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 by no means a world right. traveler. Right. Um, and I don't even read as much as I probably should, but even I know that's not true. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, it was, but I mean, like I said, it was a little, a little elitist and sometimes a little disconnected, you know? So you said things like cultural growth is more important than, than economic growth. And, and, you know, me, I was like, well, wait, what does that mean? Because right? <laughs> that's scary. I don't know what cultural, cultural growth, growth is. Thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, that could be a good yeah, thing. Yeah. That might be a good thing, but and I don't know. And by whose yardstick, too. Right. Yeah. yeah. I do. Okay. But that, but that is interesting. And mm-hmm. so this is another thing that occurred to me as I was listening. And this is really fascinating. I'm so mm-hmm. glad I walked over to meet you. Oh, no problem. Um, but I can't imagine. It sounds like the task that you have ahead of you, though, is incredible you know in- incredible and very daunting mm-hmm. so thank mm-hmm. you for being willing to step up and and address it because one of the things i'm thinking of is and and i guess i've lived long enough that i've re- and i've reached a point and i guess i always sort of skewed this way anyway i'm kind of like does more does this does this growth and more money necessarily improve anyone's quality of life okay right. it includes some it, it does definitely improve some people's quality of life because they have access to health care right. they have access to healthy food they right. have access to other systems that clean water promote right. their health Absolutely. and general welfare which most people mm-hmm. and a lot of the world does live in poverty by the way mm-hmm. don't have access to mm-hmm. And if what you're saying is and some tr- in this country and some in this country absolutely and so if if we're agreed that more dollars more gdp dollars don't necessarily mean that more of the people who need better quality services to improve their access to nutritional food you know healthcare right. and things like that then what are we really talking about as growth like what does growth right. really mean does it really mean dollars or right. does it really mean better political systems that ensure that there's more access to absolutely and i what's think available so that is what the second member of our team who wrote a piece of the paper um, said, and he was he's from Nigeria, and of course, so he was speaking from his perspective on the continent, and it was different from hers. Mm. He agreed with her that there's this whole thing about, you know, decoupling, dec- that there should be a way. She also believed that decoupling was a false narrative. Decoupling meaning um, the process whereby you separate economic growth from sustainable growth, right? Mm-hmm. So the things that you do to improve the planet are not necessarily tied to the things that you do to make money and to generate GDP dollars. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that that that's impossible. But there's this there's this theme, this 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 trend that there should be a way to find a happy median. And his position was 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 kind of focused in on that point. Like, in his country, we cannot live in a world where we promote zero growth. Right? That's not that is not an option for us in the countries that we live in in Africa. We have to grow. We have to come out of some of the places that we've been in economically. Mm-hmm. Um, but in doing so, we have to think about. Um, getting rid of obsolete practices in production, for example. Mm. Stop doing the things that are hurting us, but we still have to do the things that will help us. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to look for political um, 
um, ways to kind of take the political process out of their natural resources mm -hmm. in a way that they don't build up and take down regimes around the diamonds or the oil or the gold. Um, and so their struggle was just that. How do we, what are the policies that are um, important to us that we need to promote within the UN, within the global community that will help to stabilize our economies and, 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 and assist us in looking for ways to stabilize and build our economies without doing harm to ourselves mm. and specific and also looking for ways to stabilize our education system. Because again, we were primarily talking about SDG 8, but there's 17 millennial development goals, and they go from pro poverty and education and stable political um, um, environments and um, peacekeeping. And there are there are they range along yeah. a, a, a 17 segment continuum of around those issues that people think. And each year, so this year there were the four. Eight was one, I think. Um, 17 was other. I can't remember what all of the other segments were that other people are writing. But the paper comes out in July and we will be presenting it to the U.N. community and, um, and at, at the U.N. high level political forum in July. And you'll probably see it on the news and oh, so wow. forth. But, yeah, I mean, our particular part of the paper was specifically on the issue of, you know, how to grow how to how to grow vulnerable countries and vulnerable regions in the countries that are less vulnerable um but that there are threads of similarities in both that the populations that live in those places are suffering mm -hmm. right and so if you think about um one of the examples that I gave was in Lown in Dallas County, Alabama, for example. That's one of the most impoverished. They have they have they have thirty six point eight percent poverty there. Mm. In the neighboring county of Lowndes, there are communities where seventy percent of the people who live there don't have indoor plumbing and running water, or have failing, or have failing septic systems. My goodness bathrooms that don't work yeah. entire communities huh. where they're accepting and so one of the things that i'm trying to do is i want to do an event at the hplf this july when we're up there presenting the paper um i have applied to um do a forum there where some of the representatives from those ngos around the world can come and talk about um, growth from their perspective, right? Whatever the issue is in their country, their mm -hmm. respective countries. So um, for some, it will be infrastructure. For some, it'll be political upheaval. For some, it'll just be trying to grow from being taken through civil wars, um, which is kind of political upheaval, mm -hmm. on, but on a different level. For others, it will... Um, purely be access to capital and opportunity. Um, you know, just the act, the fact that they are kind of locked out of the system um, within systems within their countries. So for 
all of the folks who have responded to me, I've had about, it's funny, I've had about 25 NGOs around the world respond to me since I made the, the uh, made um, it aware, made folks aware that I wanted to do this session this July. And that's more than responded to the survey. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? That's huh. more than responded to the survey. Why do you think so? Because I think people are looking for opportunities to tell their story more than they're interested in being part of another data set. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think it's, I think people feel like they've been studied to death mm -hmm. um, and they ne may not necessarily take the time to participate in something that says they're collecting data, but they will participate in something that says I get to tell my story. Do you, I, I was actually having a discussion about research and data collection with somebody on a mm -hmm. different topic mm -hmm. and I was expressing some of my personal frustration mm -hmm. um, they were proposing you know doing a survey to identify risk factors for you know early adoption of you know dangerous drug use mm -hmm. in neighborhoods and I just you know I just I, I couldn't help myself like I said okay do we need to spend another $240 million to prove that if you have children who are growing up in extreme poverty with access, you know, almost no access to, to, to um, an expectation to have healthy food and in, in households where violence is the norm, right. that they are more vulnerable and have more risk factors for early drug use, early right. dangerous drug use. Right. Do we really have to spend that money right. on proving Should that, that be a duh Don't by we, now? Right? I, haven't we already spent all <laughs> right. the millions of dollars and right. billions of dollars we need to, to like to prove that? Right. Why can't we take that money and actually build some systems and structure and provide support for some of these families? You know, I'm tired Absolutely. of spending money. Uh, mm -hmm. under, and in in this, and I'm talking about in this particular instance. I guess there are probably a lot of issues that deserve to have to be studied more closely and sure. that money. Um, but personally, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it just it drives me crazy. I yeah. want to see some of these families. My son, this is really going off topic. Yeah. I apologize. This no, it's is, okay. So my son goes to school with a you know in a in a community. She's where fired. Where there's a lot of there's there's like a, there's a, there's a, there's you know a, a very big spectrum of socioeconomic cultural diversity. Right. And you know one of his best friends, he was laughing because my son ended up doing credit recovery because he was absent for five days. Right. And so what he was he's like, well, I have I'm going to hang out with my friend. Right. And uh, I said, okay. He goes, yeah, he does credit recovery every marking period. I'm like, okay. Wow. So he found out the reason why. It's because he lives in a single parent household. Mm -hmm. And when his baby sister, who's too young to be in preschool, gets sick. He has to stay home and babysit. He stays home and babysits. Right. Because mom has to go out and mm -hmm. make sure that she has rent money and right. food. Right. And that's that's their, you know, risk factor. Reality. And mm -hmm. so so my so the person I was talking to was like, see, we have to study that. I'm like, no, you don't have to study that. We know that that's the case. So right. why aren't we building a system that provides right. You know, free, reliable, safe, right? You know, childcare, so right. that parents who are you know working to support their family aren't vulnerable and don't have to sacrifice time out of school for their other children. Absolutely, to do that, like infrastructure. We know what the problem infrastructure is. Yeah. is not just roads and bridges, right? I say Absolutely. that all the time in a lot of the places. I'm infrastructure is not just roads and bridges. Infrastructures, infrastructure is all of the things that we need to get from wherever we are to wherever we need to be. That's all the definition of infrastructure is. And if infrastructure means systems, then we need to develop the systems, right? Mm -hmm. And if the study is to the end, to is, is only 
necessary to the end to which we come to the place where we develop the system yes then that's the purpose of the study if the study is for the sake of study and i think we've all gotten to the place of paralysis for study or particularly on issues of systemic poverty mm-hmm. like yeah no more yeah, right exactly. i think we've had enough we've seen enough we know enough we get enough it's really now about putting our money where our mouth is and putting the systems in place the problem that I have is that oftentimes the systems that we put in place um, don't do what we expect them to do because we um, we don't put we put we put a safety net in place that does not also allow for the um, lift right for the initiative the 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 it doesn't allow for people's own internal initiative, their own drive to kick in. Okay. It kind of, the safety net kind of undermines people's ability to make progress. Okay. Right? And I think that is one of the places that, you know, my mom used to have a say in, and a lot of times, you know, we laugh about it now. My mom, she's passed away a couple of years ago, but my mom used to have a say in, that, Welfare was one of the worst things that ever happened, particularly to the African-American community. She just feels like it was a horrible thing for what it did to families like the one that you just described. Because the, the, it was not just the, um, what my grandmother used to call the relief. In her age, it was called relief. It was not just the relief that was provided by, with the aid, it was all of the other things that came along with it that, um, you know, ha- the effect that it had on the family mm. and the effect that it had on your ability to continue to work and work outside the system. You get to a certain threshold and then suddenly the rug is snatched out from under you. So the incentive to, you know, not do it was is was real. You know, yeah. today, a lot of those realities have been kind of turned into, you know, political ping pong balls mm. by the my the the, you know, folks that don't have the same kind of intention. So it's it's not as popular to acknowledge that this happened and that these things yeah. were real. But in in certain circles, I don't think that there are many people who would not say that there were parts of the um, system of, you know, quote unquote, welfare, the safety net for welfare, that did not do a service to many vulnerable populations in this country. Hmm. So if we're going to do it, then do it, right? Mm -hmm. And provide the incentive for people to make changes but also provide the incentive with the safety net there yeah. so that you don't snatch the rug out from them under them while they're doing it so that mother who might qualify for daycare for her child as long as she's not working goes and gets a job and gets to a certain threshold yeah. in her income level and then loses her daycare right how does that work mm-hmm. that's not that's the and that's what i'm saying it's the the inherent paternalism of the system that puts constraints and tries to control people. If we can just see our way clear to just do it and not necessarily um, um, 
count it against our own worldview on who we think people are and mm-hmm. what they think they, the value is. Do you, do you, is part of your discussions for analyzing populations around the world and increasing growth, increasing access for those vulnerable populations to the, to the benefits of growth, did the fact that, we, and we're hearing so much about the fact that work is changing, Mm-hmm. You know, that a lot of the ways that people used to be gainfully employed and derive satisfaction and an income, they're just not, they don't exist anymore. Right. So right. How, how, how did that, how much of a role did those discussions play in the job that you were trying to do? Right. Are trying to do? And so one, this is, this is also, this is an, an aside, but yesterday I was having a conversation with someone about this very subject in our local community in Virginia. And they were talking because um, the counties where I live have historically been known as some of the poorest counties in the state. And, uh, so, you know, the, you know, of course, it's all oh, this poverty and people are so poor and it's so bad. And, and, I, and one of the things that I said was people work mostly at processing plants where I live and they don't make you know, may probably the average family may make about twenty thousand dollars a year, family of four. But both parents working, so the mother and father may make $40,000 a year, $40,000, mm-hmm. $45,000 a year. And they were saying, you know, but, you know, talking about how um, pervasive the poverty is where we live. And one of the things that I pointed out was, yeah, there's that's true. It's true. Like, it is one of the poorer places, right? And and poverty is, is, is an issue here. But... Um, I, I happen to um, manage property in for the nonprofit housing organization that my mother founded some 25 years ago. And when she passed away, and even before she passed away, I kind of took over management of the organization. So I work every day in that community that my mother redeveloped 25 years ago. And it is known as one of the more impoverished communities in our, in our county. Um, and what I said to someone, yes, is that's true. You know, it's true. But if you go into the houses, they have better TVs than I have. <laughs> they have better cars than I have. They, they, they have better clothes, better shoes. You know, they're, they're, they live differently. The part that we don't recognize in this country, in, develop, in, in vulnerable populations and in developing countries with vulnerable populations, is the underground economy. Now that's not an illegal economy, huh. it's an underground economy, Okay. right? And so one of the things that we've learned about developing nations and people who come to this country from developing countries and those people who live in the underdeveloped regions of developed countries is that they know how to survive. Hmm. And that they learn how to do the hair and to fix the cars and to make the widgets that make the gidgets that do the things that people need in their community. And they earn a living outside of the wage that they earn. That's how they put their kids through school. Hmm. That's how they buy the things that they need. They operate in an economy that we haven't yet figured out how to tap into and elevate Hmm. because that above ground economy is dependent upon um, access to capital. It's dependent upon loans. It's dependent on investment and all of those things. Regulations. Regulation. Yeah. And those are the things that kill the underground economy. So 
they don't come above the surface, but they do quite well huh. <laughs> to survive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Actually, these are the people who know how to get more out of their lawnmowers. They, you, you have people with specialized knowledge. They know how to um, keep, a, keep small engines running well past you know, the expected date that because um, so you know, everything's so, uh, what do they call it? Um, yeah, obsolescence, designed, designed right. obsolescence. Right. These people stretch that, and yeah. it's amazing. And, and they sell I say that. These people, yeah. <laughs> and they sell that. So Which my is genius. uncle, my husband's uncle, lost his job last year, and he was out of work for about six months. He's a truck driver. Lost his job for about six months. I was telling Mike, we live on the waterfront, and so for a couple of weeks, every morning I'd wake up and I'd see my husband's uncle in our backyard in his hip boots. And I'm like, what? what is he doing back there? You know, every day, <laughs> what is he doing? And so finally one day I asked my husband, I said, what, what is your uncle out in our backyard every day for doing a, he says, oh, he's clamming. So he was out there. We live on the waterfront. He went yeah. out every day, pulled, collected his bushels of clam or oysters, went out there, put them in his basket and sold them. So oh, he could wow. make him a couple hundred dollars a day just getting up before dawn, going out there. He was gone by noon every day. Wow. Make his couple hundred dollars and go sell them. And that's how he survived. People know how to survive in the underground economy. Some people look down on that. A lot of times I hear um, in my work, I hear people where I live complaining, for example, about the Hispanic community in that um, they won't abide by the regulatory statute, that they won't abide by the law in terms of their business operations. And, you know, I understand there's a place for that in everything, and I understand the, 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 the fact that it has an impact on the mainstream economy, but the reality is it's not to beat them up for having the ingenuity and the and and doing the things that they're taking the initiative to do the things that they do the idea should be to help to provide the bridges the infrastructure mm. to bring them into the mainstream economy right and to help them to elevate themselves so that is one issue of of you know how we know that vulnerable populations know how to um reshape themselves to meet the needs of what you know to serve to survive hmm. um they they know how to do that the other thing is um i don't know if you've ever read any of richard florida's stuff the creative class rise of the creative class no. like back about 20 years ago now but he's written a bunch of stuff since then but that was one of my favorite books of his because it talked about now this that's the vulnerable populations his book, The Rise of the Creative Class, talked about how with the, with the advent and evolution of technology that we're seeing that people, how historically people used to go where the jobs were, mm -hmm. right? So they would go to the factories. They'd go to the wherever the job opportunities They're were. They were at a railroad. They'd, they'd go, go to the railroad, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's where they, they went to the field. They went to the agriculture base, mm -hmm. right? Now we're finding that technology is a lot, has created a new class of professionals and people in a service economy, um, and even in and it's now beginning to either f even filter out into other sectors where people are able to live 
where they work where they live mm -hmm. rather than live where they work, mm -hmm. right? And so where in communities where people are able to um, work where they live, you're finding segments of, you're finding where it used to be that was auto city, right? Detroit was, yeah. was, the, was the home mm -hmm. of, of the automobile. And Nashville is the distribution center, and New York is media banking, whatever, whatever. Every every city has now, you know, Atlanta's kind of becoming another L.A. kind of thing. And it's the hub of um, the Delta, hub. so yeah. Absolutely, the airline hubs. What we're finding now is in Florida and in Tennessee and in Texas that they have these communities that are kind of coming together by the service economies because people choose to live there for whatever reason, whatever amenities that place offers, mm. the climate, the community, the, the social connection that they have with others who are like-minded, that they kind of travel in the circles um, where they're, the communities that they identify with live and take their work with them. And so entire communities are now being built around what they're calling a creative class of people, hmm. right? So work is changing and people are changing the way they live according to the work. Yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, so huh. that's also happening, yeah. We didn't address that in the paper because we didn't have you know that much, but yeah. it was one of the things that, hmm. that I would have liked to address, yeah. But that's amazing, I, and that's, I mean, I am fascinated when everything seems to be just like right up in your face. Mm -hmm. That's the the society we live in these days. It's we're all about sound bites. We're not about right. substance, substantial uh, investigative reporting. Right. All we need is the headline, and and, <laughs> we're and we know everything exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that annoys me because mm -hmm. there's so much more. There's so there's so much subtext that we're not getting, and I think we talked about it last time you and I spoke. Mm -hmm. It's all it is about context, right. context and subtext. Right, absolutely. So, absolutely. so that's I mean I love the fact one of my favorite books, and it's it's a pop culture book, mm -hmm. but it works on so many levels. It's uh, World War Z, and it's it's about the zombie rev, you know the the zombie war, right and but uh, Max Brooks, who is a brilliant writer, mm -hmm. and he comes by that, honestly, he's Mel Brooks and, and Bancroft's son. So, oh, wow. Yeah, not too many people know that, but he, no. he uh, in it, he talks about it, about, you know, every single ramification, marine life, um, you know, what happened on the coasts of the world, you know, mm -hmm. during this, you know, when the zombies came and... It's it was a really cool look at something that you know we we sort of like poo poo because it's it's pop culture trash right but for him to to take that and like delve deeper mm -hmm. to me uh, it it speaks to everything that we're missing in our normal lives mm -hmm. we need to look at you need to look around corners right you need to not just take people. Take people, take government organizations at face value. Right. You need to dig right. just a little bit deeper. I'm right. going to excuse myself. I cannot tell you what a pleasure it's been to well, be thank included you. in this. I will come back before you leave the studio. Sure. I'm going to go and... 
help to wrap up. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't mean to ramble on all that time. (laughs) You are not rambling. That was amazing. And besides, it's your time. Oh, well, no. You I can just, ramble as much I, as you want. Well, I didn't want to just kind of take control of the whole conversation. Why not? Stuff just kind of gets in my head, and I... That's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. I, uh, this is and why... And I have to organize my thoughts as I'm doing it, so it takes me a little longer to get to the airport. <laughs> no, this is... Are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> Ava, I think that um, you do yourself a disservice when you say stuff like that. Don't do it anymore. Really? Okay. No, you are. This is. It's your hour, right, and right. I'm. You can. I'm along for the ride. I love this. This is, and I learn so much when um, we're talking, and I, I learn a lot about me. It's like, well, wow, thank you. What do I find fascinating? So, what does your wife do? She's amazing. She's pretty smart. She works in digital marketing. Mm-hmm. She was in. Um, before this, she was a professional fundraiser for. Uh, a mental health organization mm-hmm. and also for Rutgers, uh, the Rutgers Library. Gotcha. So she. Yeah, I hear that. I heard that. She's, in, <laughs> in she's incredibly smart. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Wow. Is, is she is she is she um, a Ph.D.? No, but she's okay. close. I hear. It. I she, mean, like yeah. I hear scholarly. Oh, she's she's incredibly scholarly. Yeah. Yes, yeah, right. that's why <laughs> I, I knew you. Term. The two yeah, of you yeah. would get along famously. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Let's talk to her. Yeah, I mean, but it's all of the questions that she asked were a lot of the things that I wish we could have addressed in the paper. I mean, but we weren't the whole paper. <laughs> There are others, uh, right? I hate when that happens. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Yeah, the focus should always be <laughs> on you. Shouldn't it just be on what we're talking me. about? Come on. So we kind of had to bring it in and talk about the things that were, you know, what the things that we felt like were specific to economic growth and hope that the folks that are talking about the other goals will address those things like the systemic issues that she was talking about absolutely and here's one of the biggest problems and Mm -hmm. this is something that again it's one of those it's one of those sound bites but it's so true it is um those people those multi quadrillionaires they're not letting go of the money and that's part of the problem right it's like i want to keep it in the bank where i know it's safe instead of investing and here's, this is why, you know, if I had won that Powerball, <laughs> I would have changed the world because um, I look at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation mm-hmm. and they do good work. Yeah. I wanted to up the ante and do great work. Great work, yeah. And yeah. very small, start out at a very local level, make sure that, you know, mm-hmm. our less fortunate people. Mm-hmm. Because I have a very soft spot in my heart for the homeless and for the mentally ill. So make sure that they're taken care of and Mm -hmm. then you go from there. And it becomes not a governmental agenda. It's not like a a line item in anybody's budget that you have to take care. And that's one of the, the biggest problems I have with any government. Right. Is right that it becomes a chore. Right rather than what most people would think of as not just an obligation, but um, an honor. Right. You know, I think it was Prince Philip who said, the, you know, uh, the highest distinction is to be of service to service others. Service to others, right. 
So for me, that's it would have right. been like, boom, let's do right. this. And you get other people of means on board. Right. And, you know, they start following other right. people's. Right. You know. And there there is a role for the public sector, not necessarily to do, but to support. And I mean, so that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I don't say this very often, but I am a little I'm pro- I'm a little fearful of universal health care. Um, not right. And, and, and not because, uh, but for the reasons that I just said to your wife, right? Not, not because I don't think every person should not have health care. I absolutely feel like I'm concerned about what the paternalism that leaps, leaks into the process when the government oversees it. Of course. And here's one of my biggest concerns with universal health, universal health care is that you're going halfway halfway down the hose mm-hmm. you know and you're you're wrapping just what goes out to the public the biggest holes are at the top mm-hmm. you know we need to start at the top and work our way down right. to where it gets down to to you and me right or as you have to you know have to get in there and you know tort reform right you got to take care of the big problems, right? Like, because that's what makes um, it, it's the lobbyists, the lawyers, the the people who the big pharma. These are the guys who are killing. Absolutely, and I don't think there's anyone who can argue that our government has gotten too big, too unwieldy, and that the layers of everything that you just named are um, are overwhelming the process absolutely um i don't think anybody can deny that like i mean there are a lot of people who might disagree with it and don't want to say it publicly but i don't think anybody can deny that that is real like we got to get the money out of politics and and but we've been and, trying to do that since i think yeah. uh greco-roman <laughs> times <laughs> And right, it'll, it, right. I don't see it happening well, in my no, absolutely, my and, lifetime. And and it doesn't work. It you know, and there's no way to do it in you know. They can say, oh well, it's capitalism. It's capitalism. It's it's not just capitalism. It is not because at the end of the day, you can go to a you know an autocratic dictatorship, and you're going to see the money in you know one place and not in anywhere not in the rest you know it doesn't matter what kind of i mean certainly i think that if you look at the model that we have the model of governance that we have here and that our system our economic system here is probably um one of the better systems it's not the best, right? No, it's like Churchill said. You know, <laughs> democracy is um, what did he say? It's democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the all others. the others, right? Yes. Right. <laughs> and it's, he is so right. true. I mean, right. it's because we're right in the middle of it, and mm-hmm. yes, of course, we fought uh, fought Hitler, right? Uh, right. Yeah. For I'm, for that very reason, reason because right. you know, right. democracy, while it sucks, mm-hmm. it's better than everything else. Right. At least you have the ability to believe you have a shot, even if, like the example she just gave, you may not have the best shot. <laughs> of course not. But hey, what are you gonna right. do? Right. We have yeah, you have you have two ways of thinking about it. Right. Your way or our way. Right. Yes, the right way. That's it. So, you but, may have a chance. You may have, at least you have the ability 
to believe that you exactly have a- plus we have lotteries that's what <laughs> state lotteries it's that's great right. you got the, lo- the lotto ball we missed our chance last week but it's coming around again soon. it always comes around so and yeah that you kidding you're the first person i'm calling when when i hit that powerball <laughs> well thank you i'll give you a call too Excellent. i'll come here and say so how many of these things you guys ready to crank up now? <laughs> ah, oh you kidding so many <laughs> Thank but, you guys for having me today. And Ava, thank you for letting me hang out the oh extra my, hour. You are quite welcome. I Ava Gabrielle, that. you are gold. I, gold. That's the show. Thank you so much. <laughs>